Good morning and welcome to Illuminate Church. My name is Christine Ingram. I'm one of the pastors on staff here, and it's my privilege to bring the message this morning. If it's your first time visiting or you've been hanging around and you just haven't connected yet, I encourage you to take a step and text the word CONNECT to the number on the screen. You can get to know us and we can get to know you. We'd be happy to pray for you. We'd love to pray for you, in fact. We'd love to give you any information and get connected to you for groups or care or anything that you might need. We're so glad that you're joining with us this morning. I want to tell you about our upcoming Christmas Eve services. We have three to choose from. There's one at 3, 5, and 7 p.m. on December 24th. They're going to be held at Celebration High School, and we have some options for you. Now, all of these services and these times will hold an online service as well, but if you want to come in person at 3 and at 7, we will be masking in and out of the building, but not during the service once you're at your seat. The 5 p.m. service will be a masked service in and out and maintain while you're at your seat. Now, one more thing, the 3 p.m. has a kid's special time of gathering, a Christmas party and a celebration, and the other services, 5 and 7, will not have kids ministry. So we hope you'll choose to be with us. One more note, on December 27th, we will not be having an in-person service. What? We're going to let everybody rest and we're going to worship online together. So be with your family on December 27th and join in one of our online services. So before the year rolls into next year, I want to encourage you to do one more thing, and that is to get involved in the home stretch to the promise of home. We are going to be taking the land in the year of 2021, building a building that God has for us, and we're in the home stretch. You can be a part of it by making a commitment in the end of 2020 and the very beginning of 2021. Let's see that land debt totally erased so we can break ground and begin the building process. You know, we're in a Christmas series right now. It's all about music. I love music. This series is called Let Heaven and Nature Sing. We're focusing on three traditional Christmas songs in the weeks that lead up to Christmas. Last week, Pastor Tim said something that I love. He said, perhaps by giving meaning to the songs we traditionally sing, we can actually sing them transformationally. Wow. When you think about that for just a moment, think about the progress and the change over the centuries and the millennia that there have been humans on planet Earth. There have been so many things we do not want to hang on, hang on to, some of them serious like slavery, oppression of women or people groups, and some of them funny like carrier pigeons or impractical like horse-drawn carriages compared to where we are today. We don't want to hang on to those things. But tradition, sometimes there are things that we hang on to that are deeply meaningful, especially music and songs that are rooted in truth. And when we go back and re revisit them, we can be anchored to the truth of the real meaning of Christmas. So that's exactly what we're doing in this sermon series. Our song for this week is, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. Unlike most of the Christmas songs and hymns that we sing year after year that are rooted in the Christmas story itself, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel is a little different. It actually doesn't have any reference to any of the biblical account of the birth of Jesus. There's no shepherds. There's no angels. 
no silent or holy night, no wise men, apart from the singular reference to the name Emmanuel that comes from Matthew 1, 23, this song has no references from the New Testament accounts of Jesus. However, the stanzas are pulled right from the Bible. But the transformative power and depth of this beautiful song is largely from three things. First, it's from Old Testament prophecies, and a prophecy is just a foretelling of something that's going to come. So the Old Testament is full of hundreds of prophecies that would come true about Jesus, the Messiah. And that's what this song is full of. Secondly, it's full of what the Messiah would come to do. And finally, it takes a big, long, hard look at what the human condition without Jesus looks like. So the song we sing today didn't start in the full form that it is right now. It progressed over centuries. It didn't exist until about the 15th century in the words and the song that we are used to. The words came first. In the 8th century, Benedictine monks, no specific author here, but a group of Benedictine monks wrote seven stanzas that they used as chants. Here's an example. O eternal wisdom, which proceedest from the mouth of the Most High, reaching from one end of creation unto the other, mightily and harmoniously disposing of all things, come thou to teach us the way of understanding. And so there were seven of these stanzas or chants, phrases, and the, this group of monks used each of these stanzas over the course of seven days. So one stanza for each day. And they used it as a preparation, as a focus leading up to Christmas. They rendered their hearts for the fullness of what Jesus' coming has meant and would mean. So the hymn we sing today uses the words from these chants. The chants were called O antiphons. They mean O refrains or O statements. So these original O statements, seven stanzas, each began with a name for Jesus, a messianic title from the scriptures that prophesied or foreshadowed Jesus's coming. I'm going to I'm going to read them to you now give me a lot of grace because I did not take Latin and these are in Latin. But if you'll notice each word, notice the first letter of each word because we're going to do something with those letters. So O sapentia, which was wisdom. O Adonai, God. O radi Jesse, stem or root of Jesse. O clavis David, key of David. O Orion's day spring, O Rex Genitium, King of the Gentiles, O Emmanuel, God with us. In sequence, the first letter of each of those phrases after the O's, they form an acronym called SARCOR. I want you to hang on to that. I'm going to say it one more time, SARCOR. Hang on to that because we're going to come back to it. So that's where the words came from. They were transformed into more poetic phrases that became the base for the song, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. So where did the music come from then? The music origin is a little trickier, but it's been traced to a 15th century processional funeral hymn. Yes, I said that right. 
a funeral hymn for French Franciscan nuns. That's according to the National Library of Paris. Now, let's put this together. All of these prophetic and hopeful words about Jesus matched with a funeral hymn. This makes me think of a game I've played. It's called Moods. I don't know if you've ever heard of it. It's a really fun game, great game for all ages, different groups, different, different, um, all kinds of things come together in this game. So you're given a list of phrases and then you're given a list of moods or feelings, genres of where you might be coming from in a given time. And they're smashed up together. So you get a, a phrase and then you get a feeling And as the descriptor, you say it in the mood that it was written on the card. And then the group tries to guess what it is your mood was. But it's weird because the words don't really match. Like, I'll give you an example. So if I was feeling jealous, but I had to say, is that a pool? I would say it that way. Or if I was given grouchy and I would say, I just want a million dollars. It just doesn't match, right? What makes this game fun or funny is the fact that they don't match up well and our minds get kind of confused by the mixed messages that we receive. And in some ways, our song today feels like that because it's weird to sing a song full of minor chords with such a powerful message of hope. But here's the thing. I think we don't understand this because we've lost one of the powerful spiritual disciplines from the contemporary church. It's called The Lament. Do you know there's a book of the Bible entitled Lamentations? And the entire book is lamenting where we as people got off course. We were a covenant people with God, the Jewish nation, and they got off course. And God, this whole book is about lamenting. So what is lament? And if we're being honest, do we need to lament anymore post-Jesus? Lamenting is to express deep regret. It's expressing a grief or a sorrow. But lamenting is not setting up camp in complaining. And lamenting is not adopting a victim, woe is me mentality. So is the need for lamenting over? Let me ask it this way. Are you done grieving? Are you, are we at a point in history and time when there is nothing left to cause us to pause, to reflect on the brokenness that we live in? Have we really mastered sin to the point that we're perfect? Are we no longer plunged into pain, despair, or loss at times in our lives? Now, if you're familiar with the Enneagram, I would say that the Enneagram fours in the room are excited right now because they're comfortable with all of the emotional spectrum. But most of us are probably kind of shocked that we're going to address pain and grief in the church because, quite frankly, we don't do that very often. I think sometimes we overlook one of the most difficult Uh, parts of Christian life by ignoring the fact that we need to address genuine pain. Did you know that God lamented? In Genesis chapter 6, verse 6, it's recorded that the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth and he was grieved in his heart. Now, what does this mean? Did God regret that he had made us? Not fully, but he certainly did lament that what he designed for beautiful, genuine, authentic relationship 
had been broken in such a way and what it had become that he lamented his choice of making us. That's pretty deep. Jesus lamented. He cried out to the Father the night before his crucifixion. It's recorded in Mark chapter 14, verses 32 through 36. It says, they, which is Jesus and a few of his disciples, they went to the olive grove called Gethsemane. And Jesus said, sit here while I go and pray. And he took Peter and James and John with him and he became deeply troubled and distressed. And he told them, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. And he went on a little farther and he fell to the ground and he prayed that if it were possible, the awful hour awaiting him might pass by. Abba, Father, he cried out, everything is possible for you. Please take this cup of suffering away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. Lamenting is not wallowing in hurt that leads to despair. This kind of lamenting is leading somewhere else. Because you see, we lament our brokenness because sin breaks things. But God brings healing. He can't heal what we won't call broken. We lament death because we weren't made for death. We were made for eternal life. And so we long for the eternity that God designed without sickness, death, brokenness, and pain. And guess what? Jesus made the way for us to have that very eternal life. And we lament when we feel hopeless because we're limited in our sight and our scope of understanding. But God knows all, sees all, calls us to trust him even when we cannot see. Because you see, this kind of lamenting, it leads to renewed perspective and it leads to rejoicing. It leads to submission. That's exactly what happened to Jesus. The kind of lamenting modeling, modeled for us in the Psalms, in Job and with Jesus leads us somewhere completely new. If we read Psalm 130, what we're going to do here, we're going to hear from David lamenting. And let's see where he started and where he ended up. From the depths of despair, O Lord, I call for your help. Hear my cry, O Lord. Pay attention to my prayer. Lord, if you kept a record of our sins, who, O Lord, could ever survive? But you offer forgiveness that we might learn to fear you. I'm counting on the Lord. Yes, I am counting on him. I have put my hope in his word. I long for the Lord more than centuries long for the dawn. Yes, more than centuries long for the dawn. O Israel, hope in the Lord. For the with the Lord there is unfailing love. His redemption overflows. He himself will redeem Israel from every kind of sin. Do you hear where David started? He was lamenting the brokenness and the sin around him, but he ended in rejoicing for God had the solution and the solution was going to come in Jesus. Lamenting allows room for the authentic expression of real pain in the presence of God to be transformed by the truth and that very presence of God himself. So here's the question before us today. Do we allow the capacity to lament anymore? Have we lost the art of the power of the minor chords of life 
and the ability to linger in the weight of the darkness so that the light breaking through can be seen for the fullness that it actually was and is. Listen to the conditions acknowledged in the song, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. They parallel our own human conditions that are found in every generation in one form or another. Captivity, exile, mourning, the depths of hell, being subject to death and its power, uncertainty about the path of heaven, the shadows of night, divisions. Can we identify with that today? And just a general foreboding presence of darkness. Maybe before 2020 and the things we've been through together, most of our American discomfort wouldn't really make this list I think in reality, when we compare ourselves to much of the world, we still can't even touch what some people face day to day across the globe. But I think that this year, more than any other, we could find ourselves somewhere acquainted with grief, with loss, with hopelessness, confusion, or pain. I think a lot of us really wanted to decorate early this year and usher in Christmas, don't you? I saw, I saw earlier than ever people decorating and I wondered why. I think there's probably a couple reasons. For some, I think it was, let's move as quickly as we can through 2020, turn that calendar page and let our circumstances change. For others, I think that Christmas with or without Jesus just conjures up joy and we wanted some much needed hope and distraction. But if we go back to our song, if we rush past real grief and real pain, we miss the power of lament. The beauty and power of this hymn is to let the awareness of the darkness build so that we can actually remember that Jesus is the one and only solution the one and only Savior, and the once and for all atonement for our sins. They were our sins. One of the most profound passages that I have come across in Scripture to understand this concept is found in Isaiah 53. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each one of us has turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. So before we get too quickly to celebrate the gift of Jesus, let's remember why he came. The punishment that brought me peace was upon him. My straying, my waywardness, my brokenness, my choice, that was upon him. So yes, it is good and right to rejoice, but all the more sweet the rejoicing when we spend time remembering exactly what we needed and all that we need was given in this little bundle of divinity mashed up with humanity. 
After all, the name Emmanuel embodies one of the most powerful words in all of humanity. God with us. The word with changes everything, doesn't it? The power of with explain, it just explains it all. The word with means so much to me, and it's one of the most powerful names of God. I had the chance recently to recount one of the single darkest periods of my life in a testimony to a friend. She had heard some of the highlights, but she'd never heard the details, and she asked me if I would be willing to share with her. So we walked and we talked. She actively listened, and I realized I can't tell that story without telling the story of Emmanuel, God, with us. It's weaved all throughout a three or four year journey of healing for my daughter, Audrey. God was guiding me. He was comforting me. He was with me and he sent people to be with me along this journey. One of those people is my son. At the time, he probably was no more than 13 or 14. And at one of the lowest and darkest points in this this experience um, where my daughter was very, very ill, I was in my closet, very upset, very broken, very much at the lowest, feeling alone, feeling lost, and feeling hopeless. I probably was even making some pretty guttural sounds as I cried. I never heard my son enter the room. I never heard. He didn't call my name. He didn't speak to me. He put his hand on my back and he was rubbing my back. And then he said, it's going to be okay, mom. It's going to be okay. He was just a boy, but he knew the power of with. And when he heard me grieving and lamenting, feeling hopeless and in pain, he joined me in that moment in the power of with. Can we pause for just a minute and sit in the fact that the God of the universe that spoke life into being, that knows all, sees all, and is all powerful, was born into human flesh to dwell with us because we needed him. Humanity needed him desperately. We needed him then and we need him now. One of my dearest friends has a phrase that she says all the time. She says, and that is why we need Jesus. She says it to her kids. She says it to anyone who'll listen. She says it to her friends. She'd probably say it to someone in an elevator because she means it. And at first glance, you might say, okay, enough with the syrupy Jesus stuff. But at the core, if we really listened to that profound truth, it's the answer to everything That is why we need Jesus. This Christmas season, we have five days left to prepare to receive the fullness of the gift of Jesus. So would you consider this as we prepare to sing our song together? Jesus is our wisdom. The long-awaited Messiah who fulfilled every prophetic word spoken about him. Our trustworthy covenant-making and covenant-keeping God. He is our great rescuer. He is our eternal way maker and our security. He's our freedom. He's the dawn breaking through the darkness and he is our Prince of Peace. Will you join with me as we sing, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. 
it a beautiful, complex, powerful, and wonderful song? When we take the time collectively as humanity to recognize our need, and we remember that our need is only met in one place, Jesus, we can rejoice in the gift of Christmas. Jesus' birth sounded the breaking of silence, the breaking of darkness, the breaking of dawn that was humanity without the Messiah. 
But before we leave today, there's one more piece to take with us. I love this quote by John Piper. The Christian life oscillates between these two poles, the overflowing joy of the already redeemed and the tearful yearning of the not yet redeemed. Not that we ever leave the one or the other in this life. We are sorrowful yet always rejoicing. In fact, the truth is we find ourselves living in this tension between Jesus's first coming and his second. Maybe you're not familiar with the second coming, but I want to tell you there's some good news. So remember that I told you I was kind of geeking out as I studied this hymn, remembering that SARCOR acronym. The reverse order, when we look at it backwards, the reverse order actually spells a Latin two-word phrase, Ero cross. Now, I don't know if this happened on purpose, but remember how meaningful each of those stanzas were about the messianic prophecies about Jesus. So here's what that word, ero cross, that phrase means. It means tomorrow I will come. In other words, when we approach this beautiful, complex work, this hymn, these O antiphons, when we look at them coming backwards towards the beginning, we see hiding in there that Jesus is coming back. So I have great news for every person that is listening within the sound of my voice. This is not the end. This earth, no matter how good it gets, no matter the best part of this life you're living, it's never going to even come close to the best that God has designed for us. We know what we know, and that's the life we have on earth. And sometimes I think we struggle with what we can't fathom about heaven, but I can promise you that the best is yet to come. Jesus will return to usher it all in. And here's the description in Revelations 21 verses 1 through 7. This is a vision that the writer John had. He said, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down from heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. Did you hear it? With they will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, no more mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. And then he said, write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I am the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end to the thirsty. I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all this and I will be their God and they will be my children. This passage is a vision. It's a foretelling of what Jesus's second coming will usher in. So he will come back and all that God intended from the very beginning in this with relationship will be ushered in. Did you hear it? The with us God came to earth the first time to solve our sin problem because the sin problem was keeping us from being able to be with 
him. The second coming will make the way for the with once and for all. God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. Maybe this is the first time you're ever hearing this. Maybe this is the first time you're coming to understand that you and I are a part of the sin problem. We just can't get away from it. When God created humanity, he gave room for free will and free choice, and humanity chose to go our own way. Remember that part in Isaiah where it said, we all like sheep have gone astray and we have gone our own way. So maybe today for you, the embracing of the O come, O come, Emmanuel is for the very first time. If this is the very first time that you are ready and prepared to say, I want you to come in to my heart, Jesus, then I invite you right now in your own way to invite him in, to tell him there's no magic words, but you tell him, I get it. I understand now who you are. I understand your first coming. I understand the gift of Jesus and why we celebrate at Christmas. Tell him that you believe that he is the savior, the day spring, that he is the Messiah, that he is your Prince of Peace, and tell him that you want him to be the Lord of your life. Confess it with your mouth, believe it in your heart, and you will be saved. If you're here today and you have a saving relationship with Jesus, then your response today might be to understand the tension we live in, to learn to leave some room for lament in your life so that it can lead to rejoicing. Or maybe it's to understand for the very first time that there is a second coming that has so much promise and so much hope that you have so much to look forward to. And for any or all of those reasons, we say, O come, O come, Emmanuel. O Emmanuel, we linger here in the tension, rejoicing in your first coming and what it's meant. It reversed our destinies. It gave us an eternal hope of heaven. And we also sit with the tension longing for your second coming when the reality of unhindered life with you will be ours. Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel has come and will come again. Oh, come, oh, come, Emmanuel. God bless you. We hope to see you for Christmas Eve.